We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Lived a life in which he was disqualified from that calling upon his life, but God, God got his work done. God raised up David, and then after David, he kind of blew it in a certain sense. Even though he was still a man after God's own heart, he didn't really realize everything that God had for him. Uh, but God raised up Solomon, who would then build the temple. And so the thing is this, you guys, God's going to get his work done. God's going to do uh, the great and wonderful work that he wants to do. The question is this, man, what about your life? Will you be able to experience all the joys of the calling that he has upon your life? And so, you know, we're going to see that kind of woven into the study today. In one sense, uh, I could say it like this. Uh, for those of you guys who know a little bit about baseball, you know how it is when a pitcher pitches a complete game, huh? I mean, there's something special about that. There's something that, you know, it takes a, a, a concentration. It takes skill. It takes physical, you know, ability. It takes a, a, just the wisdom throughout the whole game to be able to finish the complete game and to win that game. And in one sense, that's what I want to share with you tonight, is that, is that God wants you to, to complete this life, you know, to go the full nine innings. And uh, my prayer is that the Lord will use this study to help you do exactly that, okay? Because look what you read here in, in verse 1. It says, Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who serve the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons with the officials, the valiant men and all the mighty men of valor. That's a long verse. Huh? <laughs> and there's a, a lot there. Here we see David summons all the leaders of Israel, the officers over the 12 tribes, the various organizations that he had put into place, captains, commanders, financial stewards, the mighty men of valor, the brave warriors. I mean, today, it would be like kind of like President Obama calling the executive branch, the legislative branch, the judicial branch, the governors, the mayors, the military, just calling everybody together because there's a, a mission. It's all the movers and all the shakers, and we're going to see that in order for us to fulfill the call, there has to be an element of teamwork. We can't do this on our own. You know, today I went to go visit a, a someone who, if you would, keep him in prayer. His name is Paul Mosqueda, and he's suffering from mul multiple sclerosis. And, and it's, it's been devastating for the family. It's been so difficult to see him deteriorate in health. And so I got a message from his daughter, uh, Valerie, yesterday Beautiful family, wife Liz, son uh, John Paul and Lisa, and they've been going through this uh, for years now. And, and, and I know the Lord's there with them, but in one sense, they've been kind of going through it alone. And you know what? We're not supposed to go through this alone. We can't do this alone. We need the body of Christ. We need brothers and sisters. The Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 6 that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. And so... You know, David here is about to die. He's 70 years old. He's going to pass the baton on to his son Solomon. And in order to get this temple done, and in order for Solomon to finish the work, he can't do this alone. And so it takes an element of, of cooperation. And he gathers all the leaders together. And let me just say this as a side note, that whenever you're in any type of organization, it could be a business, a church, you know, whatever it is, all the leaders have to be together. They have to be on the same page. So he gathers them together so that they might catch the vision. And look what we read in verse 2. It says, And then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name. Because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. And so, you know, David, again, like I said, he's about seven years old. He's physically weak. 
Uh, we know that prior to this, he was having trouble keeping warm, and so he had to have a, a gal come by his side. And he was there, kind of left for dead in one sense. But now he's kind of like stirred up again. He has like some physical type of energy because he knows that God is commissioning him to appoint his son Solomon king and, and to have his son Solomon, you know, build the temple for the glory of God. And so even though he's physically weak, it says right here that he rises up and he stands up. Why? Because he apparently has something important to communicate to the people. And this is what he said to these guys, all these leaders throughout the land. He said, you know, I had it in my heart to build a temple for God, right? Uh, it was in his heart, you guys know this, to build that building. And it was in his heart, you know, to make this happen. He did preparations for it. He wrote the plans for it. He even told the prophet Nathan one day, he said, this is what I want to do. It's in my heart. I want to build a temple for God. And Nathan initially said, go for it, man. That's an awesome idea. God would love for you to build him a temple, right? But, but what happened, if you remember the story, later that night, God spoke to Nathan and told him to tell David, no. No, you can't build the temple. You won't build the temple. You know, your successor, your son, Solomon, he's going to be the one to build the temple. God said no to David. And he gave him the reason there in verse 4. God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name, in verse 3, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. God said, no, you can't build it. You've been a man of war and you shed blood. And what do you do when God says no to you? Just out of curiosity. You're like, Lord, I sure would like that beamer right there, you know. And God says, no, I would love that house. I would love that job. I would love for you to do this and whatever it might be. You know, and God says no. What do you do, man? I hope that you know that his no's are good, that God has great plans. But at the same time, I think there's a lesson woven in here that sometimes God says no because in our life, maybe we did something wrong. And the only reason I say that to you, not to condemn you for what you've done in the past. Don't get me wrong. You know, we're all here today, and I believe that God wants to give us a new start in life. You know, don't look back to see how many hurdles you knocked down, or don't look back in any way to let the enemy condemn you in any way. But look at your heart now. Look at your life now. And search your heart if there's anything going on in your life that's not right. Because you don't want God to say no to you tomorrow or next week or next year because, you know, you're living a life that you would regret. You know, and, and so here I, I think there might be an element of that. Although we're not 100% sure, David being a man of war, it may have just been the, the fact that he won all these battles for the Lord. But the thing is this, when you look at David, I mean, he could have cried, he could have complained, he could have kicked and screamed, wait a minute, Lord, I fought your battles, the battles of the Lord. Your word even says that in 1 Samuel 15, 28, that David fought the battles of the Lord. And we know he did a lot of good with his fighting. You guys remember when he slew Goliath? Do you guys remember that? Most of us know that story with just a stone and a sling, defeated Israel's foes, the Philistines, and Pretty much all their enemies all around them, David did a lot of good in those wars. But here's the thing. When you really study the life of David, he also did some bad things. If you remember, David had at least a couple of times when he, you know, slaughtered people he shouldn't have slaughtered. In 1 Samuel chapter 27, when he aligned himself with the enemies of Israel, and during that time he shed the blood of many, many innocent people. If you remember back in those stories, was happening is he was going and raiding these villages and he was wiping out the whole villages making sure none of them survive lest they come back and they tell the king of the Philistines and David himself who in that, side, in that time is aligned with the enemy be found out. I mean that's a man of war, that's a man of blood. Later in the first Samuel chapter 11 David fell into adultery with Bathsheba and you remember what he did in order to try to cover up his sin? He murdered Uriah. And so most commentators believe that when God said, no, I don't want you to build the temple, it's because of the fact that he did these things. He slaughtered these people. He killed Uriah. And therefore, God said, no, I don't want you to build the temple. 
You know, of course, when we look at David's life, we know that God had forgiven him of all these things. I mean, David's even described as a man after God's own heart. God restored him after all these things. And so, you know, you know that as Christians, we're covered by the blood, but we need to also know that there are still consequences of forgiven sin. You know, whatever you sow, the Bible says, you're going to reap. In Psalm 99, verse 8, it says, You answered them, O Lord our God, you were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. You see, in going through this right here, I don't think we can read too fast. We need to know that David couldn't build the temple because he was a man of war who had shed blood. Now, God, in his grace, he still made a covenant with David, and he does the same for us. So whatever you do, don't lose heart if you've blown it. Like I said to you earlier, you know, we need to be careful that these things are taken into consideration. But in that ordination, as we're looking for that calling on our life, may God give us a heart that will incline our heart to obey him and walk in holiness. You see, God did this for David, but if we sin willfully, and I think some of the lessons that we're going to pull out from tonight, that if we sin willfully, presumptuously, repeatedly, with eyes wide open, it just might limit the Lord as far as what he wants to do with us. Where he would have said yes and, and go, we kind of force him sometimes to say no. And so I encourage you guys you know, to live a life of obedience. God in his grace, he still gave David a dynasty, a monarchy, and that's what we read next. Notice in verse 4, however, David says, even though I couldn't build the temple... The Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be a king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord had given him me many sons, that's 20 sons that David had, right? He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, and if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. When you kind of step back a little bit, what you find, you guys, is that David wants the temple built. I mean, he wants this glorious structure for the glory of the Lord, right? And he wants Solomon to succeed, just like the Lord wants you to succeed in whatever it is that he's called you to do, right? The walk and the work in your life. And so that's where David is, right? And so what he's doing is this, he's just saying, well, this is how it happened. I wanted to do it. I prepared for it. But God said, no, because I had blood on my hands. But here's the thing that I got to communicate to you, leaders. God did choose me, David said. And, and we're going to see eventually he's going to say, and God did choose Solomon. And, and there's a reason he's saying this. And, and we're going to move our way towards that. But, you know, he says there in verse 4, the Lord did choose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, right? For he has chosen Judah to, to be the ruler. And then later on, he's going to talk about the fact that God had chose Solomon. And so why is he saying that? I and mean, it would be like me, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't like feel comfortable doing that, you know, just to let you guys know God chose me. But, but why would David do that? Only because he wants the people to rally uh, behind the leaders that the Lord has selected in order that they might finish the work that God calls them to do. That's it. That's the only reason. I want to bring glory to my name. I want to build a temple I need all you executive branch, judicial branch, legislative branch, and governors and mayors and military. I want you officers over the tribes of Israel and all of you, you know, movers and shakers. You need to be on the same page because this is not a work of man. 
These are men that God has chosen, that God has ordained. And when you're on the same page with the Lord, then God will do a great work. Now, again, woven into this story, however, is, you know, this story of ordination and cooperation is also this message. I don't know about you, but I see it, a message of sanctification. We're going to see it throughout this message. You guys, you belong to God. You're created in his image. You know, we should be living life a certain way so that we can do this holy, wonderful, amazing work that he wants to do through our life. I mean, I even just look up here and I see the, our drummer and our singer and our guitar player and another guitar player singer. I see them and I see, wow, look at what God's doing in and through their life. And man, I can't wait to see what God is going to do through our life. How God wants to help you know, the people of Almani, how God wants to help those who are poor and those who are working the streets and those who are addicted to drugs and those who are mentally suffering and those who are homeless and how God wants to help the rich and the poor and the lost and how God can do this through our life. And it's not about building a temple that looks beautiful on the outside. It's about building a church. It's about building a temple that's powerful, that's miraculous, that's supernatural on the inside. And I don't know about you, but I believe that God can do this. I believe that God can do the work in Mexico. I believe that God can do the work and change the nation of Cambodia. God wants to build this structure. And that takes each of us understanding really what the Bible teaches about the way it works for us to, you know, go the whole nine innings and to finish what we started, to finish what God started. And, and you know, right there he talks about how they, they chose Judah. In verse 4, however, the Lord God of Israel, he says, chose me above the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah. David was of the tribe of Judah. Now, there's an interesting thing woven in that passage right there because if you guys remember, uh, Israel, also known as Jacob, he had 12 sons, and his oldest son was not Judah. His oldest son was Reuben. And then he had Levi, and then he had Simeon. His fourth son was Judah. But why didn't Reuben get the you know baton to be the king? He was the oldest it was supposed to be him. And why didn't Levi or Simeon get the baton and become king one day? And you want to know why? Because of their sin. You know, because Reuben's adultery. He ended up sleeping with his father's concubine. And, and you, know, you know, it's crazy. When you read the story, you know, Jacob never said anything. He never said anything, never said anything until, boom, right before he's going to die. In Genesis 49, he says, the reason you won't excel it's because you committed adultery. And then you look at Simeon and Levi and you wonder, well, why, why not them? What happened to them? And you read the same thing in Genesis 49. It wasn't adultery for them. It was cruelty. If you remember the Dinah incident, they had gone and they had killed not just the guilty men, they killed all the innocent men. And so God said, I can't use you, Reuben. I can't use you, Simeon or Levi, in that fashion. I'll use you in other ways, but not those ways. And then what happened was the baton fell to Judah. You see, and there's a lesson there for us, you guys. There really is. Paul the Apostle talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, how he beats his body and he brings it to submission. Lest when he's preached to others, he himself becomes disqualified. And so we have to walk in that holiness. You know, we have to have that heart in order that what we might do is become those that God can use. Again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I think it's woven through the text how God is telling us there are those uh, such as Saul or even David who in one sense disqualified them from the perfect work that God wanted to do in their life. And again, I share this with you not to condemn you, Again, remember, there's nothing you can do about the past. Don't worry about it. It's over. It's done, except repent of it. There's nothing you can do about that. But what you can do, there is something you can do about the future, and that is begin to fear the Lord 
and do your best to walk in holiness. You know, when you look at this right here, I think that uh, David, the main point he's, he's trying to establish right here is that God shows him. And the reason he says that is because he wants the guys, you know, to follow his lead as he's now appointing Solomon, you know. There in verse 4, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah to be the ruler and of the house of Judah, the house of my father. And among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And, and in one sense, you might look at that and you might think, how many of you guys think here that David is bragging a little bit? You know, you're like, hey, he's bragging. Look, God chose me, you know. But, you know, the Lord looks at the motives of the heart. And I honestly don't think that was why he was communicating this message. You know, I, I, one of my favorite stories is back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, when the Lord chose David. You guys remember that uh, Samuel was just uh, praying over Saul, lamenting over Saul. And, and the Lord says, how long are you going to cry for him? Man, you got to move on. you got to go. And you got to know, I got a new king. And what I want you to do is I want you to go over to Bethlehem. And I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul finds out about it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, don't worry about it. You just go and do what I've called you to do. And so when Samuel shows up, everybody's freaking out. Do you come in peace? He says, yes, I come in peace. I want to have a sacrifice. It's kind of like a barbecue. And I will invite all of you to come, and I especially want to invite the house of Jesse. And as he brought Jesse, he told Jesse, one of your sons I need to anoint as king. And so Jesse brought seven of his sons. And you guys remember the story? I mean, to me, it's a beautiful story. You know, he, one of my sons is going to be king. And so he brings his oldest, and it's interesting. It's the same thing that we see here. Big old guy. He must have been big. Eliab, right? And, uh, and Samuel looked at him. He said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me, right? Because the guy was big. He probably had some guns. I mean, you name it. You know, everything that you would think would look like a king. But the Lord said, no, I have rejected him. And then the Lord, you know, just brought the other guys. I believe it was Jonadab and Shimei. And no, not him, not him, not him. Until finally all seven of his sons. And, you know, the, the Lord told Samuel, none of them. None of them. And so Samuel literally had to ask Jesse, do you have any more sons? And, and Jesse said, well, I have one more. He's a little guy. Over there, he's taking care of the sheep. And Samuel said, well, bring him. You know, bring him to me. And then when the Lord, you know, brought David to Samuel, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he said, surely this is the Lord's king. He said, because... Don't look on the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that was the one the Lord had chosen. It would have been, no one else would have chosen him. No man thought it made any sense. But it doesn't matter. And you and I, we have to see things that way. It's not those who, you know, it kind of seems to make sense or the ones that we think. It's the ones that God chooses. And the Lord anointed him as king. And it took him about 10 years or so to become king. But the Holy Spirit empowered David to do that work, you see. And that's what he's talking about right here. He said, the Lord chose me and my father's house and even in my father's house, he was pleased with me to make me king over Israel. And then it says in verse 5, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. And the, we know of 19 sons for sure by name. Uh, there's one that's unnamed. So we know according to the Bible, David had 20 sons, right? He says, of all those sons, just in case you're wondering, God has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord of Israel. And, and what he's doing in, in getting all these guys together is doing his best to make sure the temple is built and Solomon succeeds in doing that in order that God would be glorified. And what he's saying is that God chose me and then God chose Solomon and I want you 
to understand that. Because this whole, you know, work of God is going to take submission. It's going to take cooperation. You know, A.W. Tozer, he said, don't follow any man unless you see the oil on his forehead. You don't follow any man unless you know it's the anointing of the Lord. But when you do see the oil on his forehead, when you do see that calling, when you do see God's choice, when you do see God's hand on that leader, Tozer said, then join him. And you work with him and you cooperate with him because then God will do a great work. See, we need to be careful. I think nowadays, and I've seen it not a lot, but every once in a while you see like the spirit of the sons of Korah in Numbers chapter 16. When they came to Moses and they came to Aaron and they said, you guys take too much on yourself. They said the whole congregation is holy. And what was happening was they were Levites. They were part of the priesthood, but they weren't content with that. They wanted to become part of the high priesthood. And so what happened when you look at the whole story is Moses and Aaron, they just fell on their face and they prayed. But these guys continued to rise up against their leaders. And what God had to do in the end is God opened up the earth. You guys remember like Pac-Man? And, and he swallowed them. See, we want to make sure that we don't go to that extreme, right? But at the same time, what we need to do is we need to join them, participate in the work that God is doing I think what David is saying here is that although I'm not qualified to build the temple, I was chosen. My son Solomon was chosen by God to be the king and build this temple. And he's just saying to them, come on board. Come on board as you build the temple together. Right? And so we see in looking at this that David summons all the leaders of the land together you know, to say, I had it in my heart to build the temple for God's glory, but God has it in his heart for my song Solomon to build the temple. And not just a temple for God's glory, but God wants to establish a kingdom for his glory. And not just a kingdom for his glory, but a, a lineage of kings for his glory, a country for his glory, a people for his glory. You see, this is God's plan. This is God's heart. Look again there in verse 5. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Look at this. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. See, it wasn't just a temple for God's glory. It was a kingdom for God's glory. They were kings for God's glory. They were like a people for God's glory. They would be a country for God's glory. You see, that's the work that God is wanting to do, right? But what we look at this right here is that all of this hinges on a huge word found there in verse 7. It's a two-letter word. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if. If he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. You know, and I think of Israel and how God raised them up and how God did such a great work. And if they would have continued to follow the Lord, God would have kept them right, right there. Man, the head, not the tail. I think of our own country, United States of America. I really believe we were founded on Christian principles. And I think in one sense, God would be saying, if you obey, man, I'll keep you there as the head and not the tail. I'll keep you on top out of debt, right? But that word if is such a huge word. It really is. That word if right there, it's kind of like a word that upon all our, our whole life, it swings on that word. It's like a hinge, everything. These amazing promises for us as God's people to possess, they all hinge on that word 
if, right? I mean, and, and looking at this too, I want to make it clear. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about service. I'm not talking about being the people of God, but I'm talking about enjoying the blessings for the people of God. You know, because um, salvation is a free gift. You know, to come to Christ and be forgiven and go to heaven, that's free. You know, that's not based on any of your behavior. You know, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus died for you on the cross, that they put him in a grave and he rose again, and all you have to do is turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Just say, I need you, Jesus. I'm, my life is falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. Everything's falling apart, Lord Jesus. I need you, and I'm here to tell you that when you pray that prayer, you're saved. And God works in you, and God washes you, and makes you as white as snow. But from there, now what? From there, after salvation, we move on to service. After being a child of God, we need to enjoy the blessings of being a child of God. And that does hinge on our behavior. That does, in many senses, you know, depend on whether or not we will be devoted to God, right? If he says right there, he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day, right? And, and what a big word that word if is. It's found like 1,500 times in the Bible. We see it many times like when God spoke to Cain, if you do well, will not your heart be accepted? And if you do not well, do well sin lies at the door. We see it in Exodus 19 verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face. I mean, if you pray and obey, then you will be blessed. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And so if you believe, you will receive. According to God's will in 1 John 5.14, the Bible even says, if you have faith like a mustard seed. That's all it takes. And that word if is such a huge word. You know, not a, a mystical Christianity, but a real practical Christianity, almost a tangible Christianity, you know? It's just, it's important for us to know this, because I think sometimes Christians don't understand the simplicity of this, that God blesses obedience. Did you guys know that? Sometimes I think, well, we have this concept of grace that that's not even a factor whatsoever, and God is such a gracious God that I can just go ahead and continue in sin, and he will still bless my life. And, you know, God, if he wants to do that, he is able to do that. But what we find in the law of the Lord is that God just blesses. He promises to bless those who would obey him. Notice there again the words steadfast in verse 7. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast. See, it doesn't say if he is perfect. It doesn't say if he is flawless, if he is sinless. It just says if he is steady, if he is consistent. If he walks in that life, you know, where we see, you know, obediently. You see, because in obedience to God's commandments and judgments, what we find right here is that God will bless. And where do we get those commandments and judgments? You guys know, right? We get them right here in the Bible. And so that's the challenge, you know, to read the Bible and discover what God's will is for my life and then to go out and to live it, Right? God will bless old-fashioned obedience. I like what Corey Tenboon said. She said, when we are obedient, God guides our steps and our stops. I like that. And when we do things God's way, he blesses us spiritually, I believe emotionally, even physically at times. He blesses the family. He blesses the ministry. He will bless the city. He will bless the country. If we would steadfastly devote our hearts to walk and live obediently. No, Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If we as a, as, a, as a country, as Christians, begin to 
live a heart of righteousness. God might do a work in our nation. See the same thing in Proverbs 11, 11. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. God will bless the upright and the city. And I just keep thinking of Almarni. God will bless the city. Because God blesses obedience. Not perfection, not sinlessly, not flawlessly, but steadfastly when we live that heart of obedience. You know, I was just thinking about how um, most of us here, like, you guys are nice. You guys are really nice. So what would you do if I sneezed? You Say, God bless you, right? God bless you. Whenever somebody sneezes, we say, God bless you. We usually bless people when they sneeze, right? <laughs> but I think in all reality, God blesses people when we obey, right? Nothing wrong with that. Don't stop doing that, okay? But we need to know really what the Bible teaches. Let's obey him, not just for the blessing, but because he is worthy of our love, right? And so we see right here, David wanted this to happen so bad. But what we see right here is he gathers them together. And in one sense, it's like for, for one final sermon. Look what he says in verse 8. Now, therefore, in the, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God, he says, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. I mean, as he gathers these guys together, you know, they're uh, assembled, even in the presence of God, he tells them to do what? He tells them to be careful, right? To be careful as Christians. And I encourage you guys in the same way to carefully comb through this book, the Bible, for the commandments of your creator. What does he want you to do in different situations? Um, when you got married, you became a husband, you became a wife. You have different uh, titles now, but the title is only given to you because you have a task. What happens to husbands who start loving their wives as Christ loved the church? What happens to wives who are submissive and supportive, homemakers and helpers, what happens when you have a baby, then you get another title and you become a father? Are you being obedient to that title that you've been given now? And it's on and on, right? What does the Bible have to say about these different things? And, and what we do is we find out and then we go out and we do our best as fathers and mothers and husbands and wives, as helpers and leaders to do all that God wants us to do. You know, and, and the thing that we've got to know is that we can't do God's will until we know God's will. But once we know God's will, then we can go forward. And that's why I think it really takes, uh, it takes a quiet time with the Lord. You know, to sit at the Lord's feet, to get into the Word, uh, for me... It really takes a listening ear. Are you really listening to the Lord? You know, what's he been saying to you? Are you going through this whole thing and it's kind of vague and ambiguous? I'm not really sure what the marching orders are. No, I believe that when you're in the, in the word and in prayer and when you're seeking the Lord, that he just he gives you the specifics of, you know, how you're supposed to live your life and treat your wife and stop doing this and start doing that. It's so cool how God uh, personally speaks to us. And, and, you know, looking at this, of course, for the Jews, David was speaking about a literal land that they would possess, a physical land, the land of Israel that the enemy is still trying to take away today, right? But it's also, I think, in one sense symbolic of um, what happens when a generation lives for the Lord. You see, one of the things I've noticed, and I can kind of even compare this maybe to like the Calvary Chapel movement. When the Lord uh, chose Pastor Chuck and God just poured out his spirit on him, uh, it's amazing. It's totally amazing what God did. And then I think there's a second generation of pastors that are enjoying it and they're being blessed by it. But then there's that challenge. Will you as a second generation 
live up to the same principles that have been embedded into your heart, you know, so that the next generation will enjoy the benefits of that. Because in all reality, you know, me, us today, we're living on the benefits of the previous generations. And the question, the real question is not really what are we going to experience as much now because we're living in America. We're living in the good times. But if we don't seek the Lord now, what will happen to our children? And you might blame it on the children. Oh, when they inherit the land, you know, this is what they're doing and this is what they're experiencing, a land that is hostile to them. But really, it was what we did. It was the land that, in one sense, we gave to them. And that, I think, can happen to a country. I think it can happen to a family. And, and what he's talking about right here is that, 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 you know, you find out what the Lord's will is. You live a life of good old-fashioned obedience so that you can give to your children the land of the Lord. Right? He's down the leaders, and then he gets specific with Solomon. And he says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, there's that word if again, if you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You know, and I, and I don't have like a neat outline, but I know I have words, you know, that, that come to mind. You know, one of the words in looking at this right here, I think, is, uh, is just cooperation, how we need to work together as a team. I, I think in, in looking at this right here, another word that comes to mind is ordination. Who did God choose? You know, another word that comes to mind in looking at this is sanctification. Will I be truly, totally set apart for the Lord. And, and then in looking at this right here, I, I think another word in verse 10 is just consideration, you know? I mean, here's, you know, 10 verses. It's a real quick sermon. Uh, David shares with all the leaders. And, and, and what I want you to do is I want you to think about this. You know, go home and maybe have a cup of coffee, just you and the Lord. And you sit down and you talk and you think this one through. God chose you to do something. God chose you to be her husband. God chose you to be his wife. God chose you to be, you know, their parents. God chose them and gave you those kids. It always starts at the home. And then God chose you for a ministry. God gave you gifts and talents. For Solomon, it was to build the temple. And I think we're all part of that building the temple and the church and in the body of Christ. And so what do we need to do? We need to be strong. And the only way we could be strong is when we admit that we're weak. When we admit I can't do it on my own. And so I go into my garage and I get on my knees and I pray and I say, God, I can't do this. I need your strength in my life. I need you, Lord, because I can't, you know, even face my wife sometimes or my kids sometimes. They make me pull my hair out and it's not even that long. Lord, help me, you know. <laughs> and God is just saying, well, this is what you need to do. You need to take all these things seriously. And one thing, and we don't have time to go over this beautiful verse 8 right there. I encourage you, verse 9, you know, to just dive into that verse. But if I will say just one thing, and here it is, you got to know the Lord. You got to know the Lord. You know, you got to know who he is. You got to know how he is. Salvation and service are both rooted in a personal relationship with God. It's not just about knowing God intellectually. It's, it's really about knowing him personally. Are you there yet? Are you moving in that direction? 
you know, you can get to know someone a little bit. You can see them at a distance, and you can say, well, I, I met them. They're an acquaintance, but you don't, you don't really know them. What God wants you to do is to really know him. What makes him smile? What's his favorite kind of pizza? I mean, what, you know, makes him mad? What grieves him? What, you know, uh, I mean, you get to know God. You get to know him. And that's something that we, I think, a lot of times we struggle with. Well, I know the Bible, and I know things intellectually, and I know things mentally, but God wants you to know him in the heart. Uh, for example, I could share with you guys, um, like, for example, all the statistics on Clayton Kershaw, right? Because I know you guys are all Dodger fans, right? Um, born March 19th, 1988. He's left-handed. He's been in the majors since 2008. He has the lowest ERA among active pitchers in the majors, three Song Young Awards. He won the MVP in 2014. He has close to 100 wins, 1,500 strikeouts. And, you know, the thing about Clayton Kershaw, not only is he a baseball player and a great baseball player, he's also a right-on Christian. You know, prior to the 2011 season, he visited Africa with his wife on a Christian missions trip. And after the trip, he announced his dream of building an orphanage there in Lusaka, Zambia, which he called Hope's Home. And in order to accomplish his goal, he pledged to give $100 for every strikeout in the year of 2011 and 2012. And in the end, he ended up giving, I don't know, 750000 And he gave to the Peacocks Foundation and the Mercy Street in Dallas. I am second ministry and... Just, you know, trying to make you a Dodger fan. Look at all these things he's done, man. I mean, the guy's really cool, right? And he and his wife, they, uh, they wrote a book. It's called Arise, Live Out Your Faith and Dream on Whatever Field You Find Yourself On. It's a great book. And I can tell you all these things about Clayton Kershaw. And so now you all know that I know Clayton Kershaw, right? And, of course, you guys know the answer is no, that's wrong. It just means you know about him. You never really met him, Manny. You never had lunch with him. You never walked with him. You never talked to him. You never really seen him in his good times and his bad times. You don't really know him. You know about him. And I think, and I'm afraid, that a lot of times that's exactly what happens to us as Christians. You know, maybe you know him a little bit. And what I want to encourage you in, like David encouraged his son Solomon in, as he wants him to succeed, as he wants him to be strong, as he wants him to build the temple, as he wants him to finish the life that God has for him, what I want to leave you with tonight is to spend the rest of your life focusing not necessarily on the building or the externals or those types of things. That will all fall into place when you get to know the Lord. And what that means is you've got to open up your Bible and you have to open up your eyes. And most importantly, you have to open up your heart. And you have to say as you go through life, God, reveal yourself to me because I want to know you and I want to know the power of your resurrection. Okay, can you guys do that? I pray, man, that the Lord will bless you. Go home. Spend some time in consideration. I don't know how many days yet we have left or weeks or months. You know, my wife and I have been kind of shopping around for life insurance because my other one expired, and now I'm getting old, and so that's getting expensive. So if you know of any good life insurance, maybe you can let me know. But, you know, the other day we were just there, and, it was kind of funny. I was talking to my kids, and I said, well, you know, let's just say that I passed away. You know, what would you do, Aaron? What would you do, Ariel? Would you guys want to, uh, you know, take care of your mom and do this? Because we got to figure out exactly, you know, what type of life insurance we need to get and just take all these things into consideration because the bottom line really is we don't know how much time we have left. None of us do. And so with whatever time we have left, I pray that you would live your life for Jesus Christ. He loves you, 
And he's got an awesome plan. I mean, get the T-shirt. It'll tell you now. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. And then you go out and you believe it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, just for loving us, for loving all these beautiful people, Lord, for creating them in, their, in your image. And Lord, uh, here we are. We're so weak in and of ourselves. Uh, Lord, we're so poor in and of ourselves. But I, I pray, Lord, the poor would stand and confess that my portion is him and I'm more than blessed. I pray, Lord, you bless your people with a deep and personal and intimate knowledge of you. I pray we would know deep in our heart, Lord, what your will is and that we would go out and obey you because we love you and at the same time knowing that you really do bless obedience. I just thank you so much, Father. And my heart especially goes out, Father, for any here tonight who don't know you, who are struggling because of that. I pray that tonight would be the night that they would give their life to Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you're not a Christian or you don't even know where you stand with the Lord, but you want to be a Christian, then what I want to do is that I want to lead you in a prayer. And you just pray this prayer in your heart, but you pray it to God. Say something like this. And dear Lord, I come to you tonight and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sins and tonight I receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.